Sorry to break up all your conversation, but I'm here to bring the Bible passage for this morning. We are looking at the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 23. Please open your Bibles to that. Philippians chapter 4. These are the closing words from Paul in the book of Philippians. Reading from chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with you, do, you dear, and I plead with Syndicate to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned but you have had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do anything Sorry, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more, I am amply supplied. Now that I have even, I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To God, to God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 21. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of God. And let me now pray for the Pastor Isaac. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word, Father, and we...
pray that you would anoint the lips of Pastor Isaac as he brings us your teaching. Will you please prepare our hearts and um, to receive and to desire to put into our lives. We pray for your help in Jesus. Amen. Well, please uh, keep that Bible passage open there. You have my blessing to Google it if you don't have a Bible on you, and I just trust you won't be on Facebook. Um, And, uh, yeah, we are thinking today about rest for the anxious soul. And I'm really glad to hear that you as a congregation have been thinking hard about rest, because we're not a restful bunch, are we? Uh, We are in a 24-hour economy We are on our social media accounts 24-7. We now have to legislate, as our government is talking about doing, the right to not be disturbed. So your boss can't contact you after hours. Uh, But we're bad enough about checking emails and that sort of thing, aren't we? Um, So we've got to think very hard about rest. And uh, even the issue of the Sabbath is quite a, a complex one. Because you can very quickly get into here's a list of do's and don'ts. It can become very legalistic. A close member of my extended family was a great sportsman. And uh, he was in a midweek competition, uh, so sort of a Wednesday night kind of thing, and he, he made it all the way to the final, and they held the final on a Sunday. And his mother said to him, it's the Lord's day. You're going to have to forfeit. What would you have done? <laughs> Anyway, he forfeited and he never went back to church again. He didn't want to follow the God who couldn't enjoy creation. Now, I just give that at the legalist end. I grew up at the very lax end of keep the Sabbath and uh, uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, which was, okay, church is important. Get there as often as you can, but um, you also get you know, time and a half pay at work. So I used to go to church at night, work in the morning, um, and yeah, I was doing it, there was good reasons for that. It gave me more nights free to do and serve in uh, church activities. But I was happy to watch TV, play sport, go to parties, all that sort of stuff. Not really a day of rest. Now, I think I've grown up in a rest equals recovery kind of attitude, where I just work really hard and then I just catch my breath, rather than specifically ceasing work in order to enjoy God and his creation. So I'm in the age, so many kids' parties are on Sunday mornings these days. I don't know how to navigate that with my children. Um, Because we we basically, we've made the policy that if it it runs across church, we'll run you to the party afterwards to catch the end or do a a make-up. But then we've got one of my children is really, he never gets invited to parties and he gets invited to his first party and it's on a Sunday during church. So what do you do there for the sake of his friendships? So if you're driven by the, the legalist end, you can miss out on some good. If you're at the, the lax end, then, well, maybe you end up never going to church or just telling your kids the most important thing is their friendships out there and not their church family. It's a really complex thing to think about rest, isn't it? Um, we, in, indeed, I've been thinking about this a little bit with the students, where we go, should you study on a Sunday, if that is your day to enjoy God and creation? Uh, saying study is kind of your work, even though they'll have part-time jobs as well. Um, with our kids, we've recently started no screen Sundays. So no, oh, gee, there was protest over that. There was tears over that. 
but to enjoy God and his world together as a family. And yet, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So much to my children's disgust, I still do my daily wordle on a Sunday because <laughs> it runs out. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be so navigated you know, by the legalism that I, you know, what's the right way forward? And I've kind of landed in keep the sab-ish. That, that's where I've landed. But I'm glad you're thinking through. Well, today, that's what you're doing as a series. But I want to do, uh, today, I want to think about a very specific part of rest, which is, in a sense, the spiritual rest within our soul. So I think one of the things that stops us uh, resting, where we enjoy God and his creation, is when we have things that are on our hearts and minds that are disturbing us, the anxieties and worries that we carry with us that stop us truly enjoying God and his creation because we're just so worried. And uh, I'm terrible for this, uh, and I'm someone that doesn't allow themselves to be still. I've always got a podcast on, or I have to go to sleep with something in my ears so I don't remember about all the things I haven't done. And uh, I wonder what you were just discussing with one another then. What are you anxious about at the moment? What's stopping you resting uh, fully? What's weighing on your mind? Is there something that's giving you a foreboding sense in your gut? Something that you're avoiding? Did you carry worries with you into church this morning? I'm sorry if I've brought this into your mind and this is making your heart rate race a little bit. But this part of God's word that we've just had read for us from Philippians 4 uh, talks about our worries. We read the whole chapter, but we'll really be focusing uh, in on verses 4 to 9 in detail. And uh, this is a part of the Bible that speaks about our worries, how ruminating on them can rob us of our joy. And it's a timely word for me. I think when I was younger, I didn't have many worries. As a single man, I just had to worry about what takeaway should I have tonight. That's my biggest worry. And now I'm married with four kids. And the Apostle Paul promises that those who are married will have problems in this age. We'll have stresses, we'll have worries. It's true. Are you an anxious person worrying about school or work or money or finances or relationships or kids and parenting? Maybe you're dealing with medical issues or unresolved emotional trauma. Wherever you are, we have a word from the Lord today which will help find rest for our weary souls. And it's there in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a prohibition there, isn't it? Don't be anxious, don't worry. There's a command. Instead, do this. Pray. And then there's a promise. God will give you peace. Now, if you're new to the Bible, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. It's about 62 AD. We're talking 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Real people, real places, real history. And... uh, There's a whole lot surrounding this promise that Paul has given. We'll get back to the context a bit in a moment. But when I hear that, what do you think when you hear that? 
Instead of being worried, I'm to pray and God will give me peace. What do you, is it really that simple? Is it really that simple? Is this some kind of voodoo superstition of sort of invoking God through the right words? Does praying really change anything? What about anxiety disorders? They're on the rise, aren't they? I'm sure there's lots of people here with depression and anxiety. How does that impact everything? Um, Isn't anxiety and worry sometimes helpful? I mean, the people that weren't worried about the pandemic that we're in were walking around giving everyone COVID. Isn't that good worry? Well, these are great and important questions as we think about this topic of rest for weary souls. And hopefully I'll deal with those as we go along. You'll see the answers. But I also don't want us to miss the simplicity of what's being said here. Praying decreases anxiety and replaces it with peace. That thing that keeps you awake at night. Have you prayed about it? That difficult conversation you keep putting off. Have you prayed about it? This is a word I need to hear too. I've uh, developed a few nervous tics actually with my anxiety lately. I've, um, when I remember something I've got to do, I'll just go, oh. Does anyone ever do that when they remember something they've forgotten? It might just be me. Anyway, I try to cover it in front of my kids. So I go, ah, I turn it into the Lion King. And my daughter said uh, to my wife, Zoe said to Sarah, why does dad keep singing the Lion King? And Sarah said, he's really stressed. And she turned to me, my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter turned to me and said, dad, we should pray about it. It was lovely. She'd missed the simplicity. She knew this promise, even though I'd forgotten it. And so, yeah, there'll be lots of caveats. I'm going to come back to mental health disorders, all that sort of stuff. Good worry, bad worry. But don't miss the simplicity of the promise. Praying helps. Turning our worries and anxieties to prayer provides rest for weary souls. God loves us to pray our worries, to ask him to intervene in the world, to express our thanks to him and to ask him for our needs. And the promise is, peace will be the result. Now, Paul had reason to be anxious. We already saw that there at the start of our reading, verse 2 to 3, some of his co-workers in ministry had been fighting. People in church wouldn't fight, would they? (laughs) That never happens. No, (laughs) there's a disagreement here. In fact, if you know this letter, he's writing from prison. He mentions there the Philippians later in the chapter bringing him food. That's because if friends didn't bring you food in prison, you would starve. The Romans didn't provide you food. Paul had lots of reasons to be anxious. But he really means it. When he says, don't be anxious about anything, rather pray and God will give you peace. Now, he begins before that, I think, with words that help make sense of the promise. Why does praying give us peace? It's because the base outlook for the Christian on life is not worry or anxiety, it's joy. That's our sort of baseline expectation and outlook on life. 16 times through this letter, Paul says joy or rejoice or cognates of it. And he begins there, verse 4 of Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. 
I'll say it again, rejoice. Now, I'm a parent. I know that if you say something twice, you really mean it. Well, Paul really means it. Rejoice, always. And he needs to say it again. Rejoice. Why? Well, we have reason to be joyful. It's right there in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. It's because of Jesus that Christians are known for their joy. Paul isn't saying pretend to be happy even if you're feeling terrible. He's saying you have reason to be happy even if you're feeling terrible because you are in the Lord. Jesus has saved you. He died on the cross for you. He subbed in your place, the great stunt double. He's forgiven you of everything you've ever done or ever will do. He's washed you perfectly clean by the blood of his sacrifice. He's brought you into the family of God, given you the eternal hope of heaven. He says you have reason to be joyful if you are in the Lord. Now at my grandmother's funeral, she died well into her 90s. Uh, the pastor told a story, the pastor of her little church. He said, uh, Alice, my grandmother, every Sunday at church would walk in, shake his hand and say, isn't it great to be a Christian? Right into her 90s, every week without fail, Alice would shake the pastor's hand, pre-COVID of course, and say, isn't it great to be a Christian? And it's absolutely right. Even as her body broke down, even as she lived as a widow for 40 years or so, even as her friends died around her, isn't it great to be a Christian? <laughs> See, even if everything else in life is hopeless, even if you feel like you've got nothing else, at least you've got Jesus. And it's clearly that Jesus that Paul is thinking about here. Verse 2, to the women fighting, he says, agree in the Lord. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Verse 5, the Lord is near. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He says, this is a particular kind of joy that Christians have because they've experienced the kindness of King Jesus. This doesn't mean you have to be happy all the time sort of fake Christians with fake smiles whilst the world burns around them, you know, the everything is fine meme. <laughs> it's not just that, it's, no, Paul is real. He talks about even joy in sufferings. He's not enjoying being in prison, but he knows that the Lord is in control. So he can even have joy through his sufferings. And it doesn't mean God will only give you good things. Why would you need to be commanded to rejoice if God was just giving you everything you wanted? He's not just saying God's going to bless you, give you everything of your heart, and therefore you'll be happy. No, we need to be commanded to be joyful because we are not naturally joyful. But Christian joy is not everything's going well or fake smile happy. It's a deep and profound satisfaction from God. Through all of life's circumstances, good days and bad, because you know your eternal future in Jesus. And you know God is at work in you and others. It's not tied to circumstances. It's more than a feeling. It's an attitude of thankfulness for all you've been given through Christ. Now the world teaches us to buy our joy 
retail therapy. Don't we love a bit of that to try and get us out of our worries? <laughs> but for Christians, the attitude is thankfulness for all God has given us in Christ. It's why filling our lives with more stuff never brings a settled, restful soul we desire. That kind of rest only comes through a deep meditation of knowing that you are in the Lord. That is what provides rest for weary souls. A calmness that even goes through all relationships, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Are you known for your gentleness to your co-workers, to your family, to the Telstra operator? Well, the rest of verses 6 to 9 give three commands that will help maintain this joy that will help deliver a restful soul. And that is gospel-soaked prayer, gospel-rich pondering, and gospel-informed practice. You can think of this as a bit of a tripod on which uh, is balanced our joy. Gospel-soaked prayer, gospel-rich pondering, and gospel-informed practice. So the first of those, gospel-soaked prayer. And this is where we'll spend most of the time of the three. So let's go back to those first verses I mentioned, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... Present your request to God. When we are having worries in life, instead of worrying, pray. And this is not just about little things. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, pray. Ask God about it. Those three words used there, prayer, petition and request, all mean essentially ask. God loves his children to ask him for things. I get annoyed when my children keep asking me for stuff. That's all they ever seem to do. What does Jesus say in Matthew 7? Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God says, ask about your needs as an act of faith. God, you're in control, I'm not. Let me tell you about my worries and my needs. That is what we are to do with our worries, pray them. But there are bad ways that we normally deal with our anxieties, aren't they? I mentioned retail therapy. Is anyone a retail therapist? That's their therapy, buying stuff, eBay, Facebook Marketplace. Yeah, there's a few elbows being uh, down there. <laughs> Do you binge TV shows? Instead of worrying about that assignment, binge Netflix. Anyone do a bit of that? That's what I do. Uh, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, overeat. Anyone? I'm getting some nods. Do you withdraw with your anxieties, self-medicate through porn or alcohol or drugs? God says what to do with our worries. Pray them. But I want you to note the, the phrase that stands out there in verse 4, with thanksgiving. This is not just superstition. It is with thanksgiving because it is done in the light of all God has done for us in Christ. It is gospel-soaked prayer. 
We pray because God hears our prayers and responds to our prayers and he doesn't need our prayers to act, but he commands us to and somehow in light of his sovereignty acts in uh, light of our prayers. I don't know how it works. He's God. But it's not just wishful thinking. Prayer makes a real difference. And the result, verse 7, is the peace of God which transcends understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That little phrase there again. You will know the peace of God. This is a great promise for those who are losing sleep over their worries. See, more than you can even describe, you can know that God loves you. That he holds you in his arms because you are in the Lord. Everything else might be falling apart, but God loves you through Christ. See, this is why prayer isn't just psychology in spiritual clothes. Because the peace he is talking about is not just an inner peace, but the eternal peace that comes from being in Christ. God doesn't promise to change your circumstances, but he does promise he'll give you peace. He'll settle your inner turmoil. Now, just quickly, sometimes people have anxiety disorders. That chemical imbalance in the brain that just makes it really hard to have a positive outlook about anything. You just live in your worries. If that is you, go to your doctor. Take the pills they prescribe you if they help. Exercise and eat well, all that. Because I don't think that's the type of worry that Paul's talking about here. Indeed, not all anxiety is bad. If you hear someone breaking into your house, don't just pray about it. Let your adrenaline start running, call the cops, and then pray about it. Indeed, back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, the same word for worry is used of Timothy, being genuinely anxious, being worried about the souls of the Philippians. So there are good worries. I think there's this level of chemical imbalance anxieties, that, and I'll come back to that. I'll tell you why I don't think he's got that on his mind. But what, what is Paul talking about then? It's that ongoing, ruminating, losing sleep, unnecessary worry that we get when we haven't committed our worries to God. When we haven't thanked God for all he's given us through gospel-soaked prayer. When we haven't presented our needs to him where we said, God, here's, um, here's what's troubling me. Please give me peace. Now, to maintain joy in the midst of the messiness of life, Paul says gospel-soaked prayer will give you God's peace. Well, the second leg of the tripod holding up our joy and rest is gospel-rich pondering. We won't spend much on this, but look at verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. God says to maintain joy in the messiness of life, to have rest, we need to think good thoughts. He's not talking about cat videos on YouTube here. What he has in mind is that gospel-soaked pondering of God and his goodness to you. This is why, in many circumstances, it's actually beneficial to see a professional counsellor or psychologist if you are worried. They can help our patterns of thinking be constructive. And isn't Paul pointing out here that Right thinking leads to right outcomes. 
Now, there's danger in that, isn't there? Because we are not to embrace introspection and inner peace alone because this is pointing not just to an awareness of what's going on in our hearts, but looking outward to what God has done for us in Christ. It is looking externally to God's goodness that will give us the inner feeling of peace. Indeed, Christians don't practice mindfulness. We have our word. We practice thankfulness. Or if you like the mindfulness word and you want to think about it Christianly, it's full-mindness, thinking of all God has given us in Christ. But psychology can still be helpful, pointing uh, us to what uh, we should be thankful for or thinking about the way that we are thinking. <laughs> Where deep meditation on what is good uh, fills our heads and produces right thinking. Paul is talking here about Garbage in, if you fill your mind with garbage thoughts, then garbage comes out. But as we fill our minds with what is good, then goodness comes out. The third practice then uh, is gospel-informed practice. Verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And again, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's not just prayer. Uh, it is not... Um, yeah, uh, simply um, gospel-rich pondering, but also gospel-informed practice. As we live in service of others, what happens again? God gives us his peace. See, joy, rest for weary souls is not just found in introspection, in pondering yourself, but in looking outside of yourself to serve others. Paul points to following his example here. He points to what it looks like for him in verses 11 to 13, that he's found contentment in all life circumstances. He points to the example of the Philippians in verses 14 to 19, providing practical help to him. Paul said he's learnt the secret of contentment in knowing Jesus, the contentment that comes from God's strength. Now, I just mentioned it in passing, Look at me at chapter 4, verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is the favourite verse of American athletes. There's a few gym junkies here I can see. This is the verse you get tattooed on your arm when you're lifting, isn't it? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Uh, that's not what Paul's talking about here. Um, he's not saying if you ignore all your exams and uh, haven't showed up to class and haven't studied that you can go, I can do all things through him who gives me strength and pass this exam. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about uh, the strength that comes from God for contentment. That he can bear all things through God's strength, good and bad, because of Christ. Rest for weary souls doesn't just come from praying or pondering in your own mind, but also service of others. Thinking of Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. That is where joy is found. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Well, let's bring this all together. This is the word of God today. For Christians, rejoicing is our baseline attitude because we have reason to be joyful. For we are in Christ. This is not a Botox, unable to frown, fake joy. It is not ignoring reality. But at its core, it is thankfulness for all God has given us in Christ.
a deep-seated peace is the result that creates a gentleness and calmness. Hope in God in good days and bad because Jesus is our King. And three practices that support this joy are gospel-soaked prayer, gospel-rich pondering, and gospel-infused practice. That is, speaking to God of our needs, reflecting on his goodness to us, and generously serving others. So a couple of implications. I want to focus uh, on the one I began with, that thief of joy, that uh, weariness for anxious souls of our worries. How do you find rest for your anxious soul? Well, if you take one thing out of today, I want it to be this. When you are anxious, say, I need to pray about this. That's it. (laughs) When you are fretting, have I taken this to the Lord? When you wake in the night, I need to pray about this now. Because we can trust God at his word that the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When you're having trouble with your family, pray about it. When responsibilities are thrust upon you at work, pray about it. When you have a sore back, pray about it now. As I heard one person say, either prayer drives out worrying or worrying drives out prayer. Either prayer drives out worrying or worrying drives out prayer. Now, one student asked me as we looked at this on campus this week, is worrying a sign you don't have enough faith? Is worrying a sign you don't have enough faith? No, what Paul's point to here is worry is a sign you need to remember who God is and pray about it. And finally, friends, if you are someone with anxiety, if you feel unable to pray your worries, please take comfort from Romans 8. That even when you can't find the words, the spirit groans for you. Some people I know who are anxious write out a prayer in their notes app in their phone or ask a friend to do it for them so they can pray the words when they can't find them. Or if you feel you can't pray in your worries, perhaps you could go to somewhere like Psalm 42 and pray God's word back to him. Psalm 42, which has this refrain, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. So that's the implications for you. And to finish with, what about when someone else has an anxious soul? That was if you have an anxious soul. What about when someone else has an anxious soul? Offer this. Can I pray for you now? What a beautiful offer. It's a lovely thing that you occasionally see when I visit churches or my church. People sharing after church and then stopping immediately to pray about what they've discussed. Can I pray for you now? That's what I want you to do. Offer to pray for someone. I'll tell you what I don't want you to do if you are helping someone else with their anxiety, which is, quote, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to them. Because you don't know what's going on inside. What's the worst thing you can tell someone with anxiety? Stop worrying. Oh, now I'm worried about my worrying, and that's unspiritual. The worst thing to say to someone if they've got that kind of chemical imbalance anxiety is don't be anxious. No, keep that particular encouragement to yourself. 
It's soul crushing. Proverbs 12:18 says, "This is one there is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing." If you want your tongue to bring healing to your anxious friend, don't quote this word at them, put it into practice with them by praying for them. Show them this verse by doing it, not by quoting it. Brother, can I pray for you now? Sister, are you happy if we stop so I can pray for you? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Should we pray now? Please join with me. I just take a moment by yourself there to pray to God about what you're worried about. Gracious Father, we rejoice in you and your goodness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, you are so good to us, so kind, as we sang earlier. We thank you that everything is ours in Christ Jesus. Father, please drive us to prayer in our worries. I just take a moment now to thank God for his goodness to you in Christ. Father, grow in us thankful hearts. Help us to learn contentment in good days and bad. And Father, give us the peace of knowing you who did not withhold your own son will never separate us from your love. And we pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>